It is the top of the hour, and that means that it's time for some soccer from the zoo. I am Kyle Pinnell, and Michael's not here with me today. He is on his way back from Iowa. It'll just be me, and boy, is there a lot to talk about this week. You have everything from Premier League action this morning, the Manchester Derby. Manchester is red once again. You also have their Classicer yesterday. Bayern Munich took that right out of the grasp of Borussia Dortmund. Some MLS news to cover. Some Schalke unfortunate or crazy things happening at Schalke. I have a lot to go over and I have just under an hour to do it. So thank you for Listening, once again, to Soccer from the Zoo on KCLU Sports 88.1 FM. You know, as, as always, I like to start the show with some Everton talk. And with Michael not here, I mean, Everton has been playing a lot of Monday games as of late. Hasn't been the most fun to talk about. I can't recap much of what Everton's done. But they've also had a pretty solid week picking up two wins against Southampton and West Bromwich Albion. Or West Brom for short. I probably muffled that. But what a week it's been there. It hasn't been pretty games. It's not Tottenham, which is which are going out and winning 4-1, 3-1. I talked to Michael about that earlier. I wish Everton was doing that. But Everton's putting together some really solid performances to keep themselves near the top of the table. Of course, they are sitting just outside. I believe tomorrow's game against Chelsea is a 4-5 matchup. That game's going to be at Stamford Bridge at noon central time. I'm very excited to watch that. I don't have a class that interferes. And I don't want to be talking about Everton forever, but I did want to touch on a few things. I touched on the results last week. I also read a pretty good article by Greg O'Keefe about Everton and how they're more equipped sitting right now in fifth place, like I said, or maybe it's six after today's results, but to make that jump into the Champions League, a really hard hurdle to clear if you're Everton. And, and it comes down to one guy, and that's Carlo Ancelotti, the head coach. Last time Everton even challenged was under Roberto Martinez back in 2013-14, I believe. Finished just outside the top four with near 70 points, and that's a lot of points to miss out. Of course, Everton luck missing out of Champions League soccer with that point total. But they had it in grasp, and then they started losing games. Losing games on the stretch. Everton, a young team. Romelu Lukaku, I believe, had 16 goals this that season. I, I mean, but it's a team that didn't know how to win. Under Roberto Martinez, in his first season, they lose some games on the stretch. They fall behind. And all of a sudden, Everton's not making the Champions League. But this year, it kind of feels different. Teams are beating one another. You saw Manchester United... Earlier this afternoon, beat Manchester City. So, with that being said, why can't Evertonians dare to dream about making the Champions League? Now, even myself, I'm not going to sit here and say Everton's going to make the Champions League. There's so much that has to happen. But it's possible, and that's because of Carlo Ancelotti. And he knows how to win games. He's done it everywhere he's been. Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. I believe he was with one of the Milan sides at the beginning He's an excellent manager. He shows that off every single week in his rotations. He knows what he's doing. Hamas Rodriguez, he, I don't think he's played this week or in limited minutes. Allen barely played this week, coming in as a sub. Doesn't matter for Everton. They're picking up these results, and it's not pretty by any means. But again, 
Everton know how to win. Another thing I did want to talk about, Richarlison is back to his form. Oh my gosh, has it been a while since I've been able to say that. I don't think he's gone a game without scoring since the last time I talked on the show last Sunday. He scored a goal in four straight games. He scored the winner against West Brom, a header in the 75th minute, coming via Gilfie Sigurdsson. He scored the winner on a nice slip through goal against Southampton. He's finding his confidence in that number nine position for Everton, and there's a conversation that can be had about what you do with a player like Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He excels up front. I think and this is an Everton side where you really want to see Richarlison on a wing, on a wing position, Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front. But Richarlison, he's come out and said he wants to score goals. He wants to be a striker. He wants to be in that role, and that can leave some issues for Carlo Ancelotti and what he wants to do with that. But, I mean, Richarlison's proven he's, he's playing up top a little more, rotating Dominic, Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming back from a knock, and, and he's put Everton on his back. He's the reason Everton's picked up so many points as of late. Richarlison, what a player. Something I would love to see more from Josh King. He's still regaining his fitness, but at some point, if you're Everton and Carlo Ancelotti, he's a forward that's got to be ready to play. Somebody to add depth during this final stretch of the season. A big stretch if Everton even wants to be a top four team. You see Tottenham, as I'm sure Michael's very happy about that, right behind the Toffees. They're coming in quick. They're winning more pretty games in a better style than what Everton's doing. But, but a win is a win. Tomorrow is a tough game before I kind of get off of Everton. I, I mean... They haven't doubled against Chelsea, won both home and away legs against Chelsea in a Premier League season since 1978. I don't believe Everton's won at Stamford Bridge since 1994. Lots of things going against them, but they've also won 9 of 13 road games. That's just an unbelievable number. Everton used to be a side so much better at Goodison Park than on the road. They lose games to Newcastle on the road, and they still lose games to Newcastle. But some of these road games, you don't expect them to win. Nine wins, not not nine losses like this isn't win or draw this is wins nine out of 13 games it's because of style Everton wants to play on the counter-attack they want to play fast without the ball they've been winning that way and they have a chance to do it at Chelsea now it's a difficult game and I'll speak to that in a second but they at least have a shot they have all the momentum and boy would that be a big result even if it's just a point at Stamford Bridge for Carlo Ancelotti and his team I did want to look at Everton's closing schedule, or most of it. I kind of highlighted the next few games. At Chelsea, that is going to be tomorrow at noon central. Then they host Burnley. They host City in the FA Cup. They host Crystal Palace, and they travel to Brighton. And then they host Tottenham. I, I looked at that stretch, and, and I got to say, Everton takes eight of those 15 points in the league. Of course, one game in there is an FA Cup side, or FA Cup game against City. I know City lost today. Everton plays a style like United where they can maybe catch City on the break, but City just have too much talent. They show that the other week. I think that's a loss, but when it comes to Premier League points, and that's what you worry about if you're Everton, even if you're not in the FA Cup anymore, I, I think going through it, I think they drop all three points to Chelsea. I hope I'm wrong. I think they draw Burnley at home. Again, Everton haven't been the cleanest in possession per se, and they got to break down a team like Burnley that did get all three points at Anfield a few months ago that started this torrid 
Liverpool losing run at home. So fun as an Everton fan to see that. But that started with that Burnley game. Crystal Palace, I think they take all three versus Crystal Palace. They travel to Brighton. That's a road game against Brighton. I think Everton can play their style and win that game. They host Tottenham. I gave that game a draw. So, again, that's eight points out of their next 15. You look at a benchmark of about 60 points if you're Everton to maybe be in the conversation for Europe. You have City up front. They're probably winning the league 90% chance at least. I don't think anyone's catching them in the next nine games now, I believe. Then you got a team in Leicester. One again, I believe they beat Brighton with a late goal. They're building some separation. Then you got United. You got Chelsea and Everton fighting. You have West Ham right there. I I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun battle for that fourth spot. Premier League is always fun. And and that's my Everton conversation for the week. I do know I've gone on a little bit with that. I did also want to talk about some games throughout Europe. A very exciting week. Again, like I said, Der Klassiker, the Manchester Derby. A fun game in Italy, Italy and Lazio versus Juventus. I want to talk about those three games. I'm going to start with Dirk Klassiker. In my opinion, the biggest game of the weekend. And what a game that was. Erling Holland. he announces himself as one of the best strikers in Europe. Now, not the best, because the best was on the other side of him. Robert Lewandowski, a hat trick. He always plays well in these big games. He plays well in any game. But it all starts with Erling Holland and Borussia Dortmund going 2-0 up in the opening 10 minutes. Hansi Flick, Bayern Munich coach, couldn't have loved what he saw. I mean, those are just opportunistic goals. One comes outside the box, deflected by a Bayern player, a little bit unlucky. But Erling Holland just, his power on that shot is the reason it goes in. And it can even go off a defender into the back of the net. The second goal was even better. Worked through kind of in transition on the break. I believe Thorgan Hazard got it through. Or uh, Mahoud, Dahoud. I'm going to talk about him a little later. I know I'm up to his name. He gets Thorgan Hazard running through the channel to the left. Gets him the ball. Hazard plays a really nice ball into the box right to Holland's feet. And he just puts it in as he's running with all that momentum that he has for 2-0. And boy, what what a start that was for Borussia Dortmund. A team that's lost six games in a row at Allianz, uh, Allianz Arena or Allianz Stadium, whatever it is in Munich. But then the tide turned. Of course, it starts with Robert Lewandowski and just the technical brilliance of Leroy Sané. Used to play for City. Now, I believe he developed at Schalke. He's just, his ability to come in on that right side and beat defenders one-on-one. He did it so many times in this game against Dortmund. He comes down the side and you see him put pretty much put balls into the box. You have a striker like Robert Lewandowski on the opposite post crashing in. I mean, those are goals waiting to happen. That's how the first goal came about. Almost offside, but just a hint onside, um, held onside by one of Dortmund's defenders. So that goal came in the 27th minute. He secured his brace, Robert Lewandowski, in the 42nd minute after Bayern Munich were awarded a penalty kick. I believe Kingsley Coman got brought down in the box. You don't give it to anybody else but Robert Lewandowski, and he put it into the back of the net to tie the game with minutes to go before halftime. And then Lewandowski again in the second half. I believe he scored in the 87th or 88th minute to close off the game when it was 3-2. to two. 
And overall, a great game from Bayern Munich. I mean, they, they started slow. That could be an issue for future games, but they showed all of their talent. And Lewandowski, he scored more Bundesliga goals against Borussia Dortmund than any other player in the competition's history. 19 goals in that, in that matchup. And don't forget, Robert Lewandowski used to play for Borussia Dortmund, and he, he went to Bayern on a free transfer. Unbelievable bit of business for the German Giants. Again, you look at that. I, I, Michael and I talked about Erling Holland versus Kylian Mbappe for some of the best players in soccer right now. That is still absolutely the case. But, I mean, Robert Lewandowski is the best striker in Europe. 100%. I mean, Holland is 20 years old. He is the future. But Lewandowski just shows time and time again. He scores in every one of these games. Every time Michael and I recap a Bayern Munich game, he, he's on the score sheet. And you just can't not say his name. He's just his movement. He's one of the best number nines in the world, if not the best. And, and he proved that again in this game. Now at the end, some interesting conversation. Erling Holland going to Bayern, maybe. Hansi Flick hinted that, hey, he's still under contract, but like any club in the world, once he's not, we'd be interested. A little bit of a wink-wink from um, Bayern Munich. Interesting to say after a game such as this. Just fun all, all the way around. These types of games are some that, I mean, it never, it never fails to live up to its reputation. Der Klassiker, 4-2, Bayern Munich. I'm going to go to Italy now. Just some quick recap here of Lazio versus Juventus. Juventus needs some points and quickly with this season kind of coming to a close. It's a team that always wins the Scudetto. Michael and I talked about that last week, and they're outside, I believe, the Champions League places right now. They did get each and every one of those three points versus Lazio, a 3-1 win. Uh, Adrian Rabiot scored the first goal for Juve, but Joaquin Correa opened up the score sh- scoring in the 14th minute for Lazio, so good from Juventus to come back, and then a brace in three minutes from striker Alvaro Morata, and, and that's how you get to the 3-1 there. Not as many. I didn't watch this game like I did the other two. But a, a solid result all around from Juventus. The final one, I did watch this game this afternoon. Manchester City, Manchester United. Boy, was this, this a really weird game. United, they, they got off to a hot start in the second minute. 35 seconds in, actually, were awarded a penalty. The goal came officially in the second minute. Bruno Fernandez on the score sheet for the Red Devils. And, and they held that lead, and that really helped Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, and, and United play its game. Uh, they wanted to sit back. They actually played a higher line than you would think. I was reading a little bit about it this afternoon. They played a high line against City, which kind of caught Pep Guardiola off guard. But they also, City had so much possession watching it just from the eye test, and they couldn't do much with it. And United, while they got themselves into some pickles at, at some points, one point or another, they they came through and... And got that opening goal. You would have thought that City would have scored. They had so many chances to do it, especially in the first half. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne just misplayed too many passes. They couldn't get the offense going enough. Some half chances uh, City couldn't capitalize on. And and there goes City's 21-game win streak snapped again 
by United at the Etihad. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, first United coach ever to win his first three derby matchups at the Etihad. On the other side of Manchester, a player that I was very impressed by despite the result, a player that opens up a lot of things in that possession game, Riyad Mahrez. And he plays a little bit like Sané. He's so smooth on the ball. His ability to collect the ball with defenders at his back and turn and play with little to no space. He caught my eye in this game, and he does it every game. Just He's just such an important part of what City wants to do, as, as well as Ilke Gundogan, who had a quieter game in this one. But really, the game was over in the 50th minute. I, I mean, just seconds before, City has a clear opportunity that goes off the crossbar. Nice little... 1-2 and layoff that hit the top post and went out of bounds. Then there goes um, United. They wanted to play on the break. They got the opportunity to do that against City. And Luke Shaw, fullback Luke Shaw, I mean, this is one of those things, pretty fluky, but he just hits a low ball. You would think it's savable, but the defense completely blocks Ederson as far as he can't even see the ball roll past. All of a sudden, it's just on a little rope to the opposite corner, and that's a goal. So 2-0 United City. Once that happened, United sat back in a deeper block. And for as technical as a team like Manchester City are, they could not break that down. That's the game they kept trying. They just couldn't do it. So that's United, Manchester United, 22 unbeaten run away from Old Trafford. Just an unbelievable matchup. Lots to talk about there. But, again, City losing for the first time this calendar year. Now, before I go to break, there's a few things I did want to talk about. Some interesting stories I read. Some things I wanted to touch on. I talked about Mahmoud Dahoud from Brucey Dortmund. A really good article on him in The Athletic about how he's helped Dortmund. That's before this loss to um, Bayern Munich. Has been going on quite the little run. And, And he's so fluid on the ball. A player that... Came on a little slowly, and it is now playing really well for Dortmund as far as being that player in midfield, that smooth player in midfield. I know I use that word to describe a lot, but his ability to a calming presence, kind of knock the ball around midfield, get it into the attack where obviously you have Jaden Sancho, Erling Holland, Gio Reyna when he's healthy. He was not fit against Bayern Munich. Uh, Dahoud's just taking another really big step up this season. And it's been quite fun to see, to be honest, uh, helping helping Brucey Dortmund, a team in the league. They're kind of iffy. They've won recently, like I said. But in Champions League, I mean, they beat Sevilla in the first leg. They should probably go through. Michael and I talked about that last week. That That's, who knows where Dortmund's season's going to go from here. Another thing I want to talk about, uh, some European or Europe's unlikely MVP is an article by Bill Conley, who I believe actually went to Mizzou. He does a lot of soccer write-ups for ESPN, and he called this the Ilkay Gundogan MVP award. Just some players under the radar in Europe that have had a great season, and I just thought I'd narrow a couple down that he said. Liam Cooper at Leeds, uh, a center half for, for Leeds and Marco Bielsa's team. He's won 64% of his duels and has seven ball recoveries per 90 minutes. A great defender. That's what you need as a team coming up from the championship like Leeds did. Somebody solid in the back. 
that can kind of support any type of playing style that they want to run. And, and he's done that for Leeds this season. Very good. You're going to see a player like Sam Bamford up front get a lot of talk. He has scored some great goals. He's a great player for this Leeds side. But, of course, it starts on that defensive end, and they've done really well with that. Another player, Willie Orban, Red Bull Leipzig, or just uh, RB Leipzig, because they don't like to call it that in Germany. He's had quite the season. Another defender paired with Dio Upamecano, who will be going to Bruce or Bayern Munich at the end of the season. He gets a lot of the headlines, of course, Upamecano, but Orban... And Conley laid it out well in this article. I mean, that's a big reason why Leipzig are on top of the table right now. Under Julian Nagelsmann, his side, great defensive spine, some great striker play. Another good season from that team. Uh, He has a 71% aerial success rate, eight chances created from a defensive position, and he scored four times. Those are some good numbers, but even then... The defensive solidity that he provides for this team is pretty good. And and then kind of going over to Spain, Casemiro, a name that's been there for quite a while at Real Madrid. One of their best set-piece players can score off of those dead ball situations on this really weird Madrid team still fighting with Atletico Madrid for a title in Spain. Something that stood out from from that section, Kareem Benzema, of course, people have probably heard of him. He's always been the striker over at Real Madrid. 46 goals since Ronaldo left. Casemiro, second on the team behind Benzema, just 12 goals. That's a 34-goal difference, and and I thought that was kind of shocking in itself. But it's cool how Casemiro is continuing to take advantage of his opportunities. He's continuing to stick out in that Real Madrid midfield. He's been a big part of their success and the reason why they're still challenging for to be Liga champions. And finally, before going to break, I can't really do anything without talking a little bit of Tottenham beat, beat Crystal Palace 4-1 today. So Michael, this one's for you. Harry Kane and Son Young-min, or Youngman's son, they've combined for 14 goals. That is a premier league record very very good work by those two I believe the past um, past record holder Alan Shearer was one of the guys on Blackburn in 1994 1995 so yeah Tottenham have their their attack force going in full full strength they're climbing the table quickly they're in that mix with Chelsea and Everton and West Ham very, very fun ending there. Before I go to break, just want to bring some of the games of the week. Again, Michael and I each select our game of the week and share that in a segment. My game of the week, Manchester United versus West Ham United. That's going to be next Sunday, just hours before you hear the show. 2.15 Central Time. I believe that game's being held at Old Trafford. And I know last week I suggested a relegation scrap. Or I think it was today, West Brom today versus Newcastle. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it to anybody. I'm not going to make anybody watch Crystal Palace, West Brom, 
I could have made people watch Fulham. They beat Liverpool today, which was great. Fun to see Liverpool losing its sixth straight at Anfield. But no, right now this is a three versus six matchup. I'm very fascinated with this West Ham team. I kind of have said it in past weeks, where they are on the table and how they're overachieving. I mean, Davin, Davin Moyes, he's done so well with this team. Some good pieces there. I, I like watching West Ham when I see him play. It's very interesting. I mean, there's a reason they're in the place they are with about 10 games remaining in the Premier League season. And then they're playing a United team before beating City today. A huge result. But who knows how that catapults them. That has a lot of draws as of late. They drew their past five games at least before today. And they dropped from that second position. I believe they are third. I believe United are still in relatively strong position to make Champions League. But this will be a very interesting game. Michael texted me earlier. I asked him what his game was. <laughs> You're going to get some more West Ham. Or actually that United game, by the way. United-West Ham, 2.15 Central Time next Sunday. Now this game, Leeds United-West Ham United. I just talked about West Ham. Leeds are so good. Um, and West Ham's good. I mean, West Ham needs wins for European places. It's cutthroat now. Tottenham, Chelsea, Everton, West Ham, all knocking at the door. That fourth seed, or fourth place, I should I say, up for grabs. This is huge for these teams getting that Champions League money that can kind of cement their place in future top sixes, put them in the big four, a big game. West Ham wants to be that type of club. Crazy. I cannot believe I'm saying that. A good recent run of games from West Ham, and they hope to get back to it versus Leeds. And with that, I'm going to go to break. A great first segment here, Soccer from the Zoo on KCOU Sports 88.1 FM. I'll be back in a few seconds. Anyway. Just give it away. Just give it away. I'm Kyle Pinnell, and once again, you are listening to Soccer from the Zoo on KCOU 88.1 FM. Great first half of the show. We're going to keep it rolling here, talking, switching over to America, really, some Major League Soccer. I'll bring it back a little bit of European news, of course, some news to get through, but a relatively short show today without Michael here. We'll try and get out of here by maybe 7.50, 7.55. Depending how long I can milk this Major League Soccer conversation. We are in the middle of the Major League Soccer offseason. Not middle, near the end of it. Going right into the preseason. Teams are going and heading to their preseason camps. I know for a fact that Sporting Kansas City arrived in Tucson, Arizona earlier this morning. The Portland Timbers, I also know, are on their way down there soon. Very, very exciting time for some American soccer coming back. A whole heck of a lot more to talk about and fill this hour with. Not like we needed any more content, of course, when Michael's here. We kind of bounce questions off each other. We won't get to do that this time. But I have a lot of interesting things I wanted to touch on today in regards or with regards to Major League Soccer and, and what we are doing there. I want to start with Toronto FC. They are going to be playing their games in either Orlando or Tampa. That was reported by Jeff Reuter. Or actually, no, I think that was reported by The Athletic. Another thing was reported by Jeff Reuter that I am going to get to. 
But really, I I mean, that's unfortunate for Toronto FC. They're going to do some preseason stuff in Canada, I believe. But to have to play their season in Florida, just like the Raptors are playing in Tampa Bay right now, is a sad situation. Toronto has such a good home ground, BMO Field, and a great right next to the lake in Toronto, Canada. They will be playing down there. And when I'm talking about Toronto, I might as well continue. There's some Toronto FC news. Not extending Pablo Piatti. Four goals, four assists in 2020. No extension for him. That news was recent as of a few days ago. Now that opens up a DP slot, and that is a conversation that I do want to have a little later. But with that open DP slot, there's also rumors that Toronto FC is in the market for $15 million striker Santos Bore of River Plate. A three-year deal for him. Again, once again, that's a rumor. But that would be a good addition to Major League Soccer, a South American striker. That's been rumored and linked with Toronto FC before. Maybe it gets done this time. Who knows? But it's never a bad idea to get some more talent into the league. Of course, you have the young DP rule, under 22 players. You can spend a little more on them to bring them into the league. MLS is trying. And I'll be interested to see how that goes. But I guess I can go from there into the DP conversation. So for those who aren't aware, DP stands for Designated Player. It's a Major League Soccer roster rule construction thing. It's very complicated, like everything in Major League Soccer is. But essentially, those are three spots on the field, three players you can go above and beyond the MLS salary cap limits to sign an exceptional player. Now, one team got in trouble with this rule and are being investigated. I want to talk about that in a second. But there's a lot of DP slots open in the league, and these have got to be filled pretty much perfectly. That's how teams win MLS Cups. The teams that miss on their DPs, they're not in MLS Cups. That's a big player to miss on because that's essentially the player you get to spend above and beyond on. That's the advantage. Teams who know how to sign DPs have a natural advantage in MLS or teams that want to spend on DPs who can afford to drop 18, 19 million like Atlanta United did on Barco or in that range. That's what the DP slot's for, and teams will take advantage of it. Now, it's not the end-all, be-all, but it, that's how you get stars in this league. That's how you get players like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who wasn't a DP in the first year because the Los Angeles Galaxy did whatever they did to circumvent that and make him a TAM player for the first season, and that got bumped up. But you look at a team, Atlanta United, when they did win MLS Cup in 2018, Miguel Almiron, Tito Vialba, Joseph Martinez, those were all hits. So good. Such good players. And there's a reason they won MLS Cup in 2018. Portland, a team I, I do cover, they have good DPs. Diego Chara, one of the most underrated designated players or defensive midfielders in MLS, biased or not, I think a lot of people would tend to agree. Diego Valeri is another DP. He's getting older, but he's still brilliant, especially in that 2018 season. He was unbelievable. Sebastian Blanco, a pretty good player for the Portland Timbers. Yeah, those three aren't going to match up with Miguel Almiron, one of the best DPs in MLS history. And Joseph Martinez is just a striker who's so goal-hungry. I miss seeing him play. He's just so good when he plays for Atlanta United. I mean, not much else to say. You see, that's the difference. DPs, Portland had good DPs. That's why they got to MLS Cup. 
These teams that reach MLS Cup, the Seattle Sounders, they have good DPs. Raul, Raul Rui Diaz. Um, who else? Uh, Jordan Morris, I believe, was a DP. Uh, Nico Lodero, of course, one of the best tempo midfielders in all of Major League Soccer as well. They made MLS Cup. It's really these teams, and it's not all spending on stars either. These There's slots to be filled, and, and my point there is Teams still need to fill them, and it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I That's something I asked Peter Vermees about earlier in the week. And, of course, he gave me, like, coach speak. I mean, I messed up the question a little bit asking about the wrong player, but my point still stood as far as they have one DP slot available. And I did learn from that answer that the window's open a little later to June 1st or 2nd, I believe, instead of May 3rd uh, to sign players in Major League Soccer. I thought that was an interesting tidbit he did drop. On that question, I asked him. But yeah, so that's kind of some uh, MLSDP talk. I'll get back to that in a second. I talked about Toronto. Uh, you go back, slow off season, a very slow off season in Major League Soccer. That was the article detailed by Jeff Reuter of The Athletic. Just one DP signed. Again, you go back to the importance of that roster signing. That's going to be FC Cincinnati's Bremer, their striker. We'll see how that pans out for them. Uh, Reuter listed one of the reasonings being the global market slowing down, and it's so weird you can't really travel to different countries. Potential DPs can't set foot in these MLS cities. And when they're coming in blind, that may turn them away from signing a contract to play in Major League Soccer because they just don't know the city. And, And so that's definitely a factor. And you have different things as far as green cards, the scouting is... Off teams don't want to spend on these players and blow it because they haven't scouted the player to the extent they normally do. And, and that all plays a factor in a slower offseason. I mean, I think the biggest transaction right now, Kevin Molino from Minnesota United to Columbus Crew. The rich get richer, reigning MLS Cup champions Columbus under Caleb Porter. That's a great signing. I saw Kevin Molino play, I believe, with Jonathan Reynoso. That stood out to me. I saw that live in Kansas City when Minnesota United came and beat the brakes off of Sporting at Children's Mercy Park 3-0 in the first half. A lot of it came through Bebo Reynoso and Kevin Molino. They're just their combination play and attack and then transition. Unbelievable. Kevin Molino again going to Columbus Crew, getting to work with some great players there. I know Darlington Negby's there. Um, Zeller Rayon, a very good designated player. I believe he's the number 10. He's also there, some good combination potential. Caleb Porter has a great player to play with or, or to kind of employ in his system. Again, that's the biggest signing, though. No, no crazy DPs, no Wayne Rooney. I mean, another eye-opening stat, New York City FC, the team in New York that lives off of splashy signings. You saw that with David Villa and Andrea Pirlo, I believe, and Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard or who, whoever came to Major League Soccer. That was a mess the first few years. Oh, my gosh, let me tell you. But that's a team that needs to thrive with those two slots. They have the resources. They are a part of the city football group that manages all of the city football group properties from Manchester City to Sydney FC. And and they don't take advantage of that. And people have talked that they're one of the teams, them and RB Leipzig, uh, not Leipzig, RB New York or New York Red Bulls, are in position to take advantage of because of their global scouting networks with the young DP rule. But anyway, they have two open DP slots. 
Like, those have got to be filled some way or another. Uh, New York City will, I don't know if they're going to aim to go young South American talent like they have recently or, or if they're going to go after a star player in, in some system. So that'll be interesting to see. And, and then another thing, it's just so much harder to free up those international roster spots. The, these spots, of course, another MLS contract and contractual roster building element. You need international roster spots, and, and it's harder to, f- to free them up because they're being used by so many players, and kind of the shuffling is ground to a halt with this market, like I mentioned at the beginning. So that kind of adds up, and you get a slow MLS offseason. Luckily, that is coming to a close. We're going to see some soccer being played very, very soon, whether it be through Twitter accounts, posting updates from games, maybe a few teams will live stream. I know they aren't going to be doing that in Tucson, at least last I heard. I know Portland Timbers games won't be streamed. I think there's a little bit of a CONCACAF Champions League element of not wanting to really give away how they're playing. I reached out to Sporting's um, press officer, one of them, and he said that hasn't been confirmed yet as far as they're still working out if there's going to be any streaming at all. I don't think there is. I don't think it's been officially announced, and if it is, I did miss it. But that's kind of unfortunate. You can't see those teams play in the preseason. I'll try and update as that comes. But yeah. And then the other final... or I guess I can go to that before I touch on these cities. You look at Blaze Matweedy. Uh, that's the situation. That's inner Miami getting in a lot of heat right now. For He's not a DP, and that's a player that fits the mold of a DP. A World Cup winner with France. Played at PSG all the way over in Europe. And now MLS believes that Inter-Miami circumvented some roster rules to get him just as a TAM player, which, I mean, could make sense. It'll be interesting to see how that is dealt with. Um, but they're in some hot water right now. And this is a big deal because that sets a precedence. This is a team in Inter-Miami. Has some good pieces. They have Gonzalo Higuain. They have... Matthias um, Pellegrini, some good young players, pieces that need to fit a little better. They didn't come out all guns a-blazing in their opening season. But, you know, it, it just sets that type of precedence of what's MLS going to look into? Does it If it benefits the league, are they going to turn a blind eye because it's all single entity, which means MLS runs the entire thing? These contracts aren't signed with individual teams. They are signed with Major League Soccer. But if they do this, it sets a precedence. They're not going to allow this circumventory action to occur. There's stuff maybe it happened with Slotin Ibrahimovic and a visa deal maybe. Who knows? But I found that to be quite interesting. And then the kind of wrap-up MLS conversation. Uh, this is kind of inspired by a conversation I heard on allocation disorder from Paul Tenorio and Sam Stajkul, just looking at some potential MLS expansion cities. They listed some quirky ones, such as Detroit and Milwaukee. I mean, MLS, and this is kind of on the heels of them pulling out of Sacramento, or the not MLS, but the owner, pulling out of his agreement with the city to bring an MLS team. They're very, very unfortunate news because they have everything. They have a place for the stadium. They have passionate fans that support their USL side. But I found the conversation to be quite quite fun. So I'm going to list some of my own cities. And one very weird, quirky one, I think for me, Phoenix has got to get a team. They have 
they're one of the biggest markets in the United States, and they don't have an MLS team. They have fans that would support them. Now, would it be hot to go to their games? Of course, but they support the USL Championship team, Phoenix Rising. They're about to play some MLS sides in the preseason. I think Phoenix is a market that could really benefit to have a major, could benefit Major League Soccer as well, to have a team in Phoenix. That has not happened yet. Another market, they both listed, both Paul and Sam listed this one, I believe. San Diego. What a beautiful place to play some soccer. Landon Donovan, of course, runs a USL side there. No Major League Soccer, though, and it's just so rich in talent. Southern California, with with all, all these young talent. Of course, you have LAFC, you have LA Galaxy. But you look at some of these pieces, and some of these... So many more players can be unearthed, and it's it's such a beautiful city, and I think it's another one that might support a team. I think it's a market Major League Soccer should look into, just far enough away from the Los Angeles teams to make it worthwhile and take advantage of all that territory. And finally, my fun market. Now, I get the fan support here wouldn't be the best, but as someone who loves the city, why not New Orleans? Now, I understand. Now, where would this game be played? Or, I mean, where would this team play? There's going to be no fan support. It's New Orleans that doesn't support anybody but the New Orleans Saints. And if you ask me that, you would be correct. They don't. But, I mean, it's just as good as Detroit or Milwaukee as far as putting a team there. It would be a fun place to visit. MLS, they could have quite the advantage with the humidity there in the MLS season. It's a place that would just be an overall good city for the league to have and I'm saying this kind of selfishly because I love the food there. But also it could be an interesting place. And and I, I'm just going to say just this. The Garden District, right outside of town, is so beautiful. What if you put a city like where near Tulane? And of course that's not how this works. But that would be kind of cool. Team in New Orleans. I don't know. That's very unlikely, like a 0% chance. But Phoenix, I think, is a very likely market. Las Vegas has been rumored. San Diego. As well, so yeah, some of my Major League Soccer talk. There's some other news. Um, Daryl DK scored for Barnsley, American Soccer Talk. He smashed it in from the right, a very good highlight. You should look it up on Twitter. He's currently on loan, I believe, from Orlando City over in the second division of English soccer over at Barnsley. And he had a little bit of a coming out party in Major League Soccer last season. Eight goals, two assists, and 22 matches. I mean, he's a very exciting player, a very young player, and he's a part of the U.S. men's national team pool. Very cool to see him kind of succeed at, in, in Europe and get those opportunities. And whether he comes back to Orlando City, maybe Barnsley triggered his really expensive buyout, I believe, is what it is. I'd love to see that. So another interesting thing as well, uh, Arsene Wenger, former Arsenal manager, talked a little bit a little bit about the U.S. men's national team and how they have depth for uh, a 2026 run that came on Major League Soccer's website. I mean, just interesting when you can tie that name, a name such as Arsene Wenger, to the squad and to this news and to Major League Soccer. I don't know. Just something I saw again getting towards preseason in MLS. Very exciting. And now I'm going to wrap up this show with some news. Some early news early in the week. There's some trouble a brewing in Spain, FC Barcelona. Their former chairman, um, Josep Maria Bart- Bartomeu, arrested. 
of of course he stepped down or was forced out um, from FC Barcelona in their board. And I think it's just had a lot to do with budget things. Barcelona is in a whole um, whole lot of trouble as far as financials go and their books. And it's a bad situation to be in, unfortunately, for a team with all that history and one of the best, if not the best player in, in soccer, Lionel Messi there. He also voted for the new for a new um, board board leader, board director this morning or yesterday. Some videos of him going with his son, showing his ID like, Hey, I'm messy. Here's my ID card to vote. Like, everyone knew it was him. It was just kind of a funny little thing. But yeah, FC Barcelona, Bartomeu, in jail, I believe. Some financial trouble with FC Barcelona. I touched on the Blaze Matuidin news. Weston McKinney, his move to Juventus is now a permanent one. Very good for the young American and very good for USM men's national team fans to see such a young and good midfielder having some success with Juventus and the team itself feeling good enough about him to make that move over from Schalke permanent. Speaking of Schalke, oh boy, what what a um, demise for them. Schalke fired, I believe they fired five people the other week. Yeah, they're on, or they're on their fifth coach as well this season. A, a Bundesliga record. Unbelievable, unbelievable stuff there. Um, they lost 5-1 to VFB Stuttgart, which triggered that. They drew mains today, I believe, 0-0. And I'm recently hearing that they had a sponsor. may not Their primary sponsor may not pay them. That's 20 million euros if they go down, which they will in a few weeks. That could be disastrous from a club kind of suffering in all of that debt. Some other European news kind of bouncing back and forth before we end the show. PSG and Mauricio Pochettino linked to Hugo Lloris or David De Gea to replace Kaylor Navis. You know, I feel kind of bad for Kaylor Navis. Uh, such a good CONCACAF keeper for Costa Rica. Kind of a, a little always under the radar, whether it be with Real Madrid winning all those Champions Leagues. PSG, I, I mean, not much to say there. David De Gea currently on a two-year contract with United. £325,000 a week deal. I mean, he's not going to move, but boy, has he fallen off since his heyday at the beginning of this decade or the last decade now. Uh, another conversation, or before I get to that, Liverpool, like I mentioned earlier, lose another home game. Uh, they had 31 points, and City had 23 at one point this season. I believe that was right before Christmas. Since then, Manchester City has 42 points to Liverpool's 12, and that was tweeted by Bill Con- um, Bill Conley. I mean, Liverpool haven't scored in their last 115 shots at Anfield. The numbers are unbelievable. But yeah, kind of going back to United, I know I touched on it a little earlier with their game against City. Bruno Fernandes, a good number 10. But I read an article about maybe is United too over-reliant on this number 10. And that brings up the bigger conversation. How reliant are teams on their number 10s? Mr. Dulce was an example with Arsenal, except he worked well, at least under Arsene Wenger. Now he's Kind of an outcast there. How they can unlock games, but can also be schemed against and stopped. Uh, I think that's a conversation worth having. I wish Michael was here to kind of bounce that off of him, but United should today. They don't need Fernandez to win, but he's just so good at pulling the strings. But you got to toe that line. How reliant do you want to be on that type of player? You also need a striker. I mean, Anthony Martial had a good game today, but 
he's been up and down this season. Same thing with Marcus Rashford. I, I think that's an interesting conversation, how much a number 10 brings to a team, which is a lot. But do they bring enough to... They can't assist themselves, really. And who do they kind of play through? So I think an over-reliance on one, at least personally, is not a good thing. I mean, there's a position that can kind of be funneled out of many teams. But when they're really good, like Bruno Fernandez is, and he scored a penalty kick this morning, it, it, that position just highlights so many different players on a team. And uh, we've reached the bottom of the hour. Last thing before I go, Rangers won the Scottish League for the first time in 10 years. Celtic did not win the league. So, big news for Rangers. They went unbeaten in the league. They didn't. I think they won every single home game. Unbelievable for Steven Gerrard, who's been there a few seasons. Good story there in Scotland. And with that, that's all I really have for this week. Filled a great little hour here without Michael. I'm excited to have him back. Next Sunday, of course, we will always be on the air here on KCU 88.1 FM on TuneIn or just on kcu.fm, 7 to 8 p.m. Central Time every single week. One of the highlights of our weeks for sure. Uh, again, you can follow us at Soccer from the Zoo, but that's going to be Soccer at the Zoo, Z-O-U. You can follow Michael Howie at by Michael Howie. You can follow myself at Kyle underscore Pinnell underscore. A lot of good little shows. I'm going to quickly promote um, this uh, Kansas City Soccer Update, which I do. I'm going to have a lot of fun guests on, including... SB Nation's Thad Bell, who runs the Sporting Kansas City uh, SB Nation site. I'm very excited to have that conversation. That comes out in the channel and feed as well. You can find that on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. So without further ado, again, Michael and I will be back next week at the same time. Very excited for that, but another fun week of soccer. Go out, enjoy that, enjoy some beautiful weather. I know it's going to be 70s in central Missouri at least. And with that, we'll be back. Thank you for listening to another episode of Soccer from the Zoo on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia.